Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. In the recent movie, Yesterday, the main character's name is Jack. He's a struggling musician who discovers that after a momentary global blackout, no one has any idea who the Beatles are. Suddenly, this, this struggling musician is able to draw on all of those great Beatles hits, and that, that catapults him into stardom, because no one realizes that, that he is plagiarizing all these songs. They have forgotten the Beatles, they have forgotten all the songs, they don't realize they're not his songs. Even if you're in a younger generation, it seems impossible that all the best Beatles songs could be entirely forgotten, doesn't it? Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. You've heard that? Here comes the sun. Do, 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 do. Sing it with me, right? Let it be, let it be, let it be, oh, let it be. You've heard some of these before, all of you, I'm sure. How could everyone forget the best Beatles songs? Yet we have the same tendency with the best news in the universe. We tend to forget it. We tend to forget the gospel, the good news. And our passage, friends, our passage shows us some of the ramifications of that. We forget what Christ has done. Then we forget who we are as the church. And if we forget who we are as the church, then we're in real trouble. So we're told in this passage to do one main thing. Remember. Only one imperative in the whole passage. Only one command. The command to remember but we can and should remember three things in particular. 
First, we should remember, remember your alienation. Remember your alienation. This was originally written to a church or churches predominantly made up of Gentile or non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And there were, it seems, tensions, tensions between Gentile and Jewish Christians. Now, it's hard for us to grasp the chasm that existed between Jew and Gentile in the first century. Gentiles were considered dogs by many Jewish people, and Gentiles considered Jewish people the enemies of the human race. So the hatred, the hostility was mutual. It was a religious, social, and ethnic grand canyon between the two groups. So even after conversion, even after coming to Christ, those, those fault lines often remained in the church. And that seems to be the case in verse 11. In verse 11 we read, Therefore remember at one time you Gentiles, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, referred to as the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. It sounds like there's a Jewish faction in this church and they are disparagingly referring to the Gentile faction as their, quote, uncircumcision. A tribalism. A tribalism is taking hold in the church. A Lord of the Flies experience is happening. You recall, perhaps from high school, William Golding's novel by that title, Lord of the Flies. I remember it. I, I remember a few things from high school, but I remember the Lord of the Flies. It tells of a plane crashing on a deserted island in the Pacific, and the only survivors are some British schoolboys who can't believe their good fortune. Nothing but beach, shells, and water for miles, and best of all in their minds, no grown-ups. One boy named Ralph is elected the group's leader initially, and his game plan is have fun, survive, and make smoke signals for passing ships. But before long, before long, the boys divide into two warring factions. A factionalism takes over, and they descend into chaos. When Ralph is finally being hunted down, Ralph is being chased by the opposing faction. Finally, a British naval officer comes ashore. By that point, three of the boys are dead. And the naval officer says, I should have fought that a pack of British boys would have been able to put up a better show than that. And Golding writes, Ralph, Ralph wept for the end of innocence and the darkness of man's heart. Now, for the believer in Jesus, that darkness in our hearts is being decidedly rolled back, thanks be to God. But friends, it hasn't been eradicated. I trust you're aware of that. So, dividing into factions, a Lord of the Flies existence remains an ever-present danger for any local church. So what is the Apostle's antidote for such factionalism? Well, it's to remember. To remember in verse 12, verse, verse 12, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God, without the real God in the world. So the solution, the solution begins with remembering our need of the gospel, that good news. Not forgetting, but remembering. You and I were separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, a stranger to God's promises, no hope, and not the true God in the world. We remember that, and then we are amazed by verse 13. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, his sacrifice. Now, we'll see how he unpacks it in a moment, but let me just say first, if you are here and you've yet to surrender to Jesus Christ and trust in his blood and his sacrifice, first, thanks for coming. Thank you for being here. I think it's no accident that you're here with us in the park this morning. Realize, from God's perspective, those five things are true about you right now. That you are separated from Christ. That you are alienated from God's people. That you're a stranger to his promises. That you have no real lasting hope and you're without the true God in the world. But... But verse 13 can apply to you. By relying on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you can be brought near right now. And so I urge you, as you listen to my voice this morning, turn to Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, friend. Eternal issues are at stake for you. Surrender and hope only in Jesus, and he will bring you near. So that's the starting point for addressing our, our factions, our fault lines. We start by remembering our need of this gospel, not forgetting, because that quickly shifts the ground, doesn't it? It shifts the ground from who's right and who's wrong in our factions to, you know what, we're both wrong apart from Jesus. And then we can remember, secondly, Christ's reconciliation. We remember our alienation, that secondly, we might remember Christ's reconciliation. See, the crucial, the crucial but now in verse 13 gets unpacked, beginning in verse 14. Look at verse 14. For, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one. And it's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility is probably, probably a reference to the temple in Jerusalem and the wall that set off the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles or non-Jews could not go past that wall and draw near to God to worship in the temple. In fact, in 1871, one of the pillars of that wall at the temple was discovered. And it has an inscription on it reading, quote, no man of, any, of another race, no man of another race is to enter within the fence, an enclosure around the temple. You can't go past the wall. Whoever is caught will have only himself to thank for the death that follows. Like, have a nice day. Well, that wall and the temple are still standing as the apostles writing these words around 60 to 62 AD. But he says the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Jesus' flesh, in his body, through his sacrifice because of three words. 
abolished, created, and reconciled. Kids, that was our word, remember? Abolished, created, and reconciled. Because verse 15, it says, by, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. Perhaps, perhaps more ceremonial aspects of the law were creating this factionalism, especially around circumcision. So Paul says, those, look, they've been abolished because they were fulfilled by Jesus. And the verse continues. And he created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jew and Gentile, previously, previously separated by a grand canyon of differences, now joined in one body, now profoundly, these very different people profoundly united, he says, in one new man, one body. You look around Grace Church and you might think, we're not the most diverse group ever, but we are very different in good ways. Very different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, different educational backgrounds. We come here this morning from different economic situations, different seasons of life, children, teenagers, toddlers, grandparents, Singles, married, empty nesters. And we have a whole, <laughs> whole slew of different preferences on a host of issues. So we have our own potential fault lines. But Jesus had, has made peace between us. In himself, it says. So that we are joined in one new man, the body of Christ. For, as we see in verse 16, and he might reconcile us both, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, we were hostile to God in our rebellion, and God was rightfully hostile to us in his holiness. For he is absolutely holy, like we just sang about. But God, in his holy love, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that Christ might kill the hostility, that Christ might put to death the hostility between us and God through his own death on the cross. And verse 17 has a beautiful way of picturing this. In verse 17, the apostle merges two references from the prophet Isaiah. One from Isaiah 52 and one from Isaiah 57. Saying, and he came and preached peace to you. He preached peace to you. We're far off. And peace to those who are near. Isaiah's original reference was to Jewish people living near in the land and Jewish people who were far off in exile in Babylon. But Isaiah also saw the Gentiles coming to God. So the apostle applies this to all of us. People who are far from God, very far from God. But to us, to you, Christ preached peace. Oh yes, someone shared the gospel with you. Someone told you of this good news. But friends, through that person, someone else was preaching to you the one Isaiah calls the Prince of Peace. Now there is peace between you and God 
once and for all, a genuine peace, a lasting peace. Not like the peace Neville Chamberlain declared after meeting with Adolf Hitler. Before World War II, he came back and he said, it's peace for our time. It was a fake peace, a veneer of peace as was made clear when German tanks rolled into Czechoslovakia not long after. This peace is not like that. This is a real peace and a lasting peace between you and God for all who believe. And the proof of that is in verse 18. For through him we both have access, shared access in one spirit to the Father. So, here's what we must remember. We must remember the double reconciliation that Christ accomplished. The double reconciliation. See, in verses 14 and 15, it's reconciliation between people horizontally. In verses 16 through 18, it's reconciliation vertically between us and God. It's reconciliation to God producing this reconciliation between people. It's vertical reconciliation producing a horizontal reconciliation. The vertical reconciliation is the gospel, the good news. The horizontal reconciliation is the effect of the gospel, a necessary implication of the gospel. The solution to our factions, brothers and sisters, the solution to our tendencies to divide, to create fault lines between us, is to remember and apply the gospel. You might be thinking here, and I understand it, do I? Yes, Dad. We've heard that before. <laughs> yes, yes, we know. Preach the gospel to ourselves. Remind ourselves of Jesus. Yes, remind ourselves of the good news of what Christ has done. Yes and yes and yes. We've heard it a thousand times, Dad. But think of it like this. Think of this remembering. Kind of like an oil change in your car. You're supposed to change your oil every 3,000 miles. Or if you have the newer synthetic oil, I think it's about every five to 7,000 miles. But, you know, that oil change light can go on and you can put that baby off. You can see me when put it off indefinitely, right? Anybody else do that? You can put that oil change off, the car still starts. You can put it off, you can forget the oil change. The car still runs, it gets you where you want to go. But imperceptibly, the oil is breaking down. And the moving parts in your engine are not going to move together as smoothly as they should. And that's why the Apostle says, keep remembering. Keep remembering these things. It's maintenance for the church and your souls. Keep remembering, though the church might seem fine without doing so for a while, our failure to remember means we, the moving parts of this church, will fail 
to move together as smoothly as we could and should. Seemingly small things will become big things between us. Small differences will loom larger and larger as we fail to remember. Pretty soon, like these Christians 2,000 years ago, factions will emerge. We will start to focus on things like, you know, they don't look like me. You know, they don't act exactly like me. You know, they don't educate their children just like me. Actually, they don't vote like me, or they're in a different season of life than me. You fill in the blank. Some difference, some distinction begins to loom larger and larger. You're not changing the oil. You're not remembering. And so you start to distance yourself from that person relationally. That distinction becomes the basis of fellowship in your mind. So you no longer welcome them in your circle of relationship. You define the common denominator for real fellowship in the church differently. What's happening? Well, you're forgetting. You're forgetting that Christ has torn down the greatest dividing wall in verse 14. You're forgetting that Christ created in himself one new man, one body, in verse 16. You're forgetting that we have peace with God and so peace with each other in verse 17. You're forgetting that we have shared access, shared access in one spirit to the Father in verse 18. But friends, if we keep changing the oil, if we keep remembering these things, it will make a significant difference. So thirdly, we will then remember our new identification. We remember our alienation, apart from Christ. We remember Christ's reconciliation, his double reconciliation, that we might remember our new identification as the church. See, now we're given three identities for the church of Jesus Christ. First, we could call a political identity. A political identity, verse 19. It says, you are fellow citizens with the saints, fellow citizens with God's holy people. In verse 12, these Gentile Christians were to remember they had been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now they're told, you are fellow citizens with God's holy people. In this day, citizenship was a very important political identity, but now they're informed of a far more important political identity. Look, you might be here and you might identify as a Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian, and that's fine. But here's your most important political identity. Fellow citizens with God's holy people. Fellow citizens of a spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to bring. When Pontius Pilate questioned Jesus, trying to figure out if this nomadic rabbi really claimed to be king of the Jews, you recall Jesus' reply, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, trying to achieve political ends by earthly means. But he said, my kingdom, my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus came to bring a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And if you're in Christ, your citizenship is there. 
As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven, brothers and sisters. Now in the church, we get to be an embassy, an outpost of that spiritual, eternal kingdom. Now we have the privilege of demonstrating to a watching world what that kingdom looks like as fellow citizens together. So, when you encounter someone in this church who has a different political affiliation, which you will encounter, someone who votes differently than you do, someone who has a different political calculus than you use, remember this most important political identity. You are fellow citizens of Christ's spiritual, eternal, heavenly kingdom. That's the political identity. Then secondly, there's a social identity. A social identity. Verse 19 continues. And members, you are now members of the household of God. That's saying we're family together. God's family. God's household. Verse 12, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Now God is saying you belong in my family. I have adopted you in Christ. You fully belong to my family. Family. We have God as our Father and a shared brotherhood or sisterhood in Christ. And so we unite on that basis with genuine love and care between us as the family of God. I love how we get to put that on display in our home groups, especially our small groups. If you observed my home group on a Friday night, we meet over here near the playground. If you were to observe my home group from a distance, you would probably ask yourself, what in the world do those people have in common? We have two single adults and three families represented. Two families with young kids, my family with teens and young adults, one member with multiple grown grandkids. We range in age from 30s to 70s, we have different skin colors represented, different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, plus different preferences on a whole variety of issues, but we have a sincere care and love for each other. If you could hear our discussions or see texts that go back and forth, I think you would observe a genuine affection. Now, it's nothing special about us. What explains that is we're family part of the family of God, members of God's own household. Friends, as you gather in your small groups, you are displaying something of the diverse family of God. Remember that at your next home group meeting, it will envision you for the privilege of joining together. It's a family gathering. Then differences between you, differences between you will not be a hindrance to fellowship in your mind. They will be an opportunity to display the family of God. We have a political identity, a social identity. You might say third, a, a religious identity. We're, we're a temple together. Verse 20, a temple. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So now it's an architectural metaphor. In whom the whole structure 
being joined together grows. Notice, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In verse 20, we were people with no hope, without God in the world. Now God says, you're my temple. You're my dwelling place. My special presence. Even you, Grace Church in the park. Even you. you know, first, first Corinthians chapter 3 applies this temple reality to a local church. But Paul says, do you not know that you, local church in Corinth, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. So friends, localize this. As we gather like this, we display one microcosm of God's dwelling in the earth. Isn't that profound? You thought you were just going to the park today. No, you are displaying one microcosm, one expression of God's dwelling, His temple in Christ. Aren't you glad you came? Remember that for our Sunday services, friends. We gather to put God's dwelling place on display. This, friends, this is a biblical vision of the church. God's new humanity, his new society, his kingdom, his family, his temple, the church. So, so we must not allow the gospel to be like a forgotten Beatles song. We must remember, friends. We must remember our former alienation and Christ's double reconciliation that we might remember and live out of our new identification in Christ <laughs> as his people. So I hope you feel the preciousness of the unity for which Jesus Christ shed his blood. As Ephesians chapter 4 will put it to us, be eager, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. And we'll serve the Lord's Supper. Those who are going to serve us can prepare to do so. But I want to first give you a chance to respond in your own heart to God. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about a secondary matter that you've made primary in your relationships here. You thought, I can't have real fellowship if this isn't shared or that isn't shared. And I hope you're seeing the only common denominator, Jesus Christ. So respond to whatever God might be speaking to you about. Let's ask him to help us remember. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you indeed Help me, help us 
to remember our former alienation. For we were far from you, so bad far. And then we would remember Christ's reconciliation. First and foremost to you, our God, and then by implication to each other. And this would function for us in new identification. As your kingdom, your family, your temple near, help us, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.